0: This is a presentation of LifePoint Church. Our mission is to make gospel-centered disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information, please visit sharethelife.org.
1: Genesis 1, 26-31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, It was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
0: Hey, good morning. My name is Zach, I'm one of the pastors here and a part of our preaching team and excited to be with you today as we continue in week two of our series. Uh, This series we've entitled In His Image and we're exploring what it means to be human. Just small questions like that. What it means to be human. And last week, uh, we got started from from Wes with this metaphor from a great book by Gregory uh, Kukul. I think that's how he says his last name. And the book is called The Story of Reality. And Gregory unpacks this amazingly helpful metaphor about worldview. And he says a worldview is like a puzzle. Now worldview as a definition, it's something that you use every single day whether you admit that you have one or not, um, even people that are not religious, they'd say, I'm not religious. Everybody, every person to just function in the world has a worldview. It's our picture of reality. It's how we interpret experiences and make sense of the world that we live in. Anytime somebody says in a casual conversation, they say something like this, you know, the way I see things is, that's worldview. Or if someone expresses an opinion and they say, you know what, I think our leaders should do this because it's the right thing to do. That's worldview. Who told you what the right thing to do is? You have a framework. You have a picture of what's true, of reality, and it's from that that you work out in the world. Everybody has a worldview, and it's a lot like a puzzle. Worldviews are complex. And uh, here's a puzzle that Wes used last week. If you're a puzzle person and you're still having like tremors from what Wes did, brace yourself. Brace yourself, okay, it's gonna get worse. Uh, This is a thousand piece puzzle. It's the same one that we picked up from last week. And uh, a worldview is a lot like uh, a puzzle. And the problem is with our worldviews, though they're complex, is that few of us have actually ever put together the puzzle. It's pretty complicated. If we're really honest, our worldview doesn't look like a neat puzzle laid out on a felt board. It kind of looks like this. Oh, sorry. Oh, it gets worse. <laughs> so there's our worldview. If you're really honest, that's, that's kind of what our is like. It's, it's, a, it's a pile of puzzle pieces on the ground. Here, right here, is the Christian worldview. It's all here, that's all the pieces. And and you might spend a lifetime trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle, trying to organize and systematize your picture of reality, the framework from which you work. But the problem gets worse because this isn't the world we live in, is it? This would be nice if that's as bad as the problem gets. But uh, thanks to Wes, I've got another puzzle here that's really similar. It's from Amazon. It's from the same makers. It's also a mountain picture. It has sky. It has a lot of aqua blue in it as well. And here's the reality of life is that our worldview isn't just sitting on the floor as if the only worldview out there is the Christian worldview. In fact, there's a lot of other worldviews that we interact with every single day. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed this? Here's the problem as you're trying to piece together your worldview. People are making their own worldview in life. It's a similar but different puzzle altogether. Have you noticed this before? Uh, Maybe you've been interacting, you get breakfast with that extended family member, and you're having a conversation, and it gets a little bit conflicted. The worldviews are competing, and that family member over breakfast says this. He says, you know what, you know what, let's just be at peace. You do you, and I'll do me. You do you. That's a worldview puzzle piece, but it's not from that puzzle, or is it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm for peace, but you do you and I'll do me. Is that the way I should see the world and work it out? And so you have breakfast, they say, you do you and I'll do me and in oh, oh, drops a puzzle piece, right? And then you are driving along from that breakfast and you see that car parked right in front of you and you see the bumper stickers and you're trying to figure out this person's worldview and you see the bumper stickers that says I'm for protecting rights. And you think, yes! Wait, hold on, let me think about that. Which rights? And whose rights? And how do you go about predicting? I don't really understand their worldview. And oops, in drops another puzzle piece you're trying to work out. And then maybe later that day, you get an email at work from one of your coworkers and they have a new signature on the bottom. And not only does it have their name now, but they put an asterisk next to their name and it says, I prefer they, them pronouns. And you're a Christian and you want to love this coworker. That's your paradigm. That's your worldview you're trying to work out in this mess. And and here comes this puzzle piece from a different worldview that doesn't fit. And you think, what do I do with the signature on this email? Because I want to love. What do I do with that? And then you go out that night and you're with your friends and you love these people and they're hitting old town and they're saying, YOLO, YOLO, right? You only live once. And you're like, yeah. Wait, hold on a second. Is that, the, is that my worldview? You only live once. Well, I mean, like seize the day, kind of did That's how bad it is. This is the world we live in. It's complex. And so our aim in this series, in six weeks, we believe, and I'll make this point at the end, so listen carefully, I think our strategy in approaching the world needs to be building our framework of our worldview So that when you try to figure out two pieces in the middle that don't quite fit, if you don't have the edges built out, you don't have a hope. That's what this series is about. We wanna put together a framework, just the outside. And last week, Wes put in the corners. There's only four of them. (laughs) You find the corners, that's how you start a puzzle. They're the most important pieces. And the corners were four aspects of who God is. That's the most important part of worldview. And the second then, the second most important part is what I'll call as the edges next to the corners, and that is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? That's our question for today. I believe we can summarize what it means to be human in one phrase, and all I'm gonna do is unpack that phrase today, and it's this phrase. God, he's the corner piece, created man in the image of God. That's it. There's the frame. And I'm gonna claim today that this defines so much. (laughs) And in one week, all I can tease out is this defines our position in the world, it defines our value in the world, and it defines our purpose in the world. Just small things like that. One phrase, image of God. Before we go to those three implications, let's start with a definition. Let's agree, what does this phrase even mean? See it in the text with me. Uh, You can see it there in verse 27 a lot. It's repeated often, and that's repeated for a reason. The author is saying, pay attention, pay attention. Remember, this is an oral culture, so you're using repetition to try to highlight things. Verse 27 says that we have been created in the image of God. What is the image of God? When we read the Bible, uh, the first place we need to go is to the people who first listen to this. In their world, and it was really different than 2022 in Fort Collins. In fact, the original recipients of the book of Genesis lived in a culture that was vastly different than ours. If you lived in the ancient Near East, anywhere in the world, in fact, most likely you lived under the rule of some king. That's how things worked, no democracy, okay? You're underneath the thumb of some king. And in that context and in that world, every king, most of them at least, believed that the place of their authority was because they were a god. They are actually a god. I mean, think about it. The people of Israel were underneath one of those gods, Pharaoh. Pharaoh believed he was a god. And he even would say things like, I'm the image of a god. That's what gives me the right to rule and have authority. That's how I elevate myself above the rest of these peasants. That's what a king would do. Now here's the problem. As a king would conquer distant lands, he couldn't hop into his Boeing 737 and drop down in the embassy of a far-off country and remind people on some touring visit with the press, hey, this is where I rule and reign. So how, how do you rule a place that's thousands of miles away? You create statues. And that's what a king would do. He would Commission an artist, get the best gold, create a statue that resembles me, make it look awesome because I'm awesome, and then send it to all these different nations that I have conquered, put it in the middle of the town square, and it will remind everyone, look, this image reflects me, the king, I'm God, and this is where I rule. Insert a radically different worldview. Think about the original readers of Genesis. This was totally countercultural. It was an entirely different box of puzzle pieces. As you read in the opening words of Genesis, things like, in the beginning, God created. Look, this means, as Genesis unpacks, that. There's this claim, a worldview claim, that these kings think they're gods, but the one true God is the real God, the one who has authority over all things, and he's the one who's going to create statues all over the world, but he's going to be different. These statues aren't going to be stagnant and collecting dust in a town square. These statues are going to be living, breathing, moving, and acting humans, humans, and this God is going to tell the world of his rule and reign and what he's like through seven billion of those statues spread out all over the world. Do you see how radically countercultural this is? He's going against the grain of another world view and it doesn't fit, the pieces don't fit together. So the image of God in summary, and and this is where we get this word by the way, image of God in that first verse uh, 27, is the same word in the Old Testament that's translated idol. Same word. Image, idol. This is what God's doing. He's creating little idols. You are. Little images of God. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Here's a, a quick summary of what it means to be in the image of God with three R words. We reflect what God is like, we represent him, and we rule the world under his authority. That's what it means, that's my working definition of what it means to be made in the image of God. We reflect what God is like, we represent him, and we rule the world underneath him, and I'm gonna unpack that in these next three points. So what, so what? (laughs) Okay, you got a definition, there's the image of God, and you move on in your Bible reading plan, and you cruise on by. (laughs) So what? There's some massive implications of this simple phrase, and I, I wanna highlight just three of them The image of God defines our position, value, and purpose in the world. First, let's look at position. Being made in the image of God defines our position in the world. Uh, Most people haven't taken time to put together the puzzle pieces, but they have to function with some mental picture or concept of their position in the world. Everyone does. Everyone does. And if you had a moment to yourself, every human has to sort of ask this question, what's my position in the world. Where do I fit? Let's look for a moment at the picture on the front of the box. That's what we're going to do. Here's the picture. Here's the picture. We're going to look at the front of the box. And God says, this is your position in the world. Look with me in verse 26. Actually, verse 27. Let's start there. Verse 27. So God created Notice repetition here. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times. Did you notice the word create? There's something really wonderful about that verb, create. And uh, my. My old professor, who is the the chief editor of the Old Testament for the NIV Study Bible, I saw his note in there and went, there's Hess, there's Hess. He, He points this out. He says, every single time this verb is used in the Bible, the subject of the verb create is only God. Every time, the subject which means God is never the object of whatever this word means to create, this special word. There's other words for make and create in the Old Testament, but this one that appears three times in this verse, God is the subject. That means God's the one doing this type of creating and nobody else gets to do that type of creating. What is the nature of that creating? And it, do you see how this is, this is a polemic against every other com- cosmology in the ancient Near East. Every other story of how the world begins, every other worldview, Genesis is saying something radically different. You see, at that time, all the lower gods, when, when people tried to write in their religion how these lower gods created anything in the world, they assumed material matter existed first. And then the gods took the stuff and made stuff with it. Not our god. Not our God. He creates, he creates this word out of nothing. Raise your hand if you've done that. I mean, I can make a cute sculpture, but where'd you get the dirt? Whoa, does God really do that? Does the rest of the Bible support that? Let's go to two cross-references. Let's see if it's true. All right, Hebrews 11.3. You think this is true? Does he really create out of nothing? Hebrews 11.3. By faith, because this takes faith, who can claim they made stuff out of nothing? By faith, we understand that the universe was created. Do you see the word create? By, who's the subject? The word of God. So that, here's the key, so that what is seen, everything material, the leather on this Bible was not made out of things that are visible. Whoa. Someone killed an animal and made the leather for this Bible, but they didn't create the animal. Is it elsewhere? All right, one more place. Revelation 4.11. If you're sure this is true, Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Why does he do glory? What's distinct about our God? For you created all things, and by your will they existed. Whoa. And we're created. There's the word created. They existed by God. No other ancient Near East story of how the world begins claims that. This God is different. He creates things out of nothing. Before the world, there was God, just God. And then he creates all things out of nothing. Don't you see how this determines your position in the world, humans? No one gets to be the subject of that verb. No one. Only God is the subject of that kind of creating. In in other words, you get to be a created creator. You do not get to be the uncreated creator. That's who you are, that's your position in the world and it's distinct from God. Do you see how, oh, I love the Imago day. This is so important. It's, it's saying don't get too big ahead because your position isn't God. You're not the center of the story. You don't create out of nothing. God did that, and your position is underneath him. The only reason you have any living, breathing breath in your lungs is because he's the uncreated one who created all things. This is who in is. Do you believe that's your position in the world? Have you worked out those pieces of your worldview? I mean, do you live it? Do you live it? There's a great systematic theologian, and I'm going to quote him at length here because it's so helpful, Uh, one of my favorite, Millard Erickson. And he says, we get this backwards a lot, our position in the world. And if we don't, recognize that he's the uncreated one, we get it. What he calls, it's an inverted theology. Instead of God being the center and we're second, we become the center of the story and God's second. So dial in here, look at the screen, listen to this quote. It is worth unpacking. This is Millard Erickson, he says this. Instead of regarding God as our Lord, whose glory is the supreme value and whose will is to be done, we regard him as our servant. Have you ever done this? He is expected to meet all of our perceived needs and to answer to our standards of what is right and wrong. You ever done this? Instead of joining Samuel and saying, Speak, Lord, your servant listens, we say, Listen, Lord, your servant speaks. You ever done this in prayer? Is that how you approach God in prayer? Look God, I got a long list today, so listen up. Pull up a chair, okay, get to work. Listen. When we adopt the latter stance, we in effect make ourselves God. We presume to know what is right and what is best, and in doing so, I love this line, in doing so, we take upon ourselves a great responsibility. I would, I would add a horrible responsibility, if you're in charge, to guide our own lives. Have you bumped into a worldview like that? Have you lived out a worldview like that? It is God who knows what is best in the long run. He is the almighty and loving Lord. He has created us, not we him. We exist for his glory, not he for ours. Man, good job Erickson. Yes. What's your position in the world? Have you put together the pieces? Do you live out that reality or do you live out an inverted theology when you pray? God, listen up, I got an agenda, I'm in charge. The Imago Dei, the image of God, it defines our position in the world. This is really important to how we live. It's foundational. But the image of God doesn't just define our position in the world, it actually defines our value in the world, the image of God. That's what tells us whether or not you have value and it's because you're valuable because you bear the image of God. Look at uh, verse 26 then, verse 26, and let's unpack this definition a little bit further. Then God said, this is stunning, look at the first hint of the Trinity right here. Notice the plural, let us, not let me, let us, wish I had another sermon for that, love that let us make man in our image and then you have this synonym that falls right after it to help us flesh out what does it mean to be made in the image of god right there after our likeness after our likeness so whatever it means to be made in the image of god some of it has to mean that in some particular way we are like god we're like god in some ways and in other ways we're not because remember. Verb, we don't get that one. Create, uh uh-uh, off limits. But, and yet we do create things. You're sitting on an oak pew, somebody made that. Not out of nothing, right? In some ways we're like God, in other ways we're not. That has to be part of what it means. And then notice what God assigns to this work on the sixth day of creating humans in his image. This happens at the end of our verse today, our section. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything else in creation so far he said good, but when humanity comes onto the scene and everything is fit together in the harmony that he desired, now he says it's very good. Notice from the beginning who gets to say what's good and very good and not so good. Do you hear value? Someone saying what's valuable and what's not. And the God of the universe who creates out of nothing looks at humanity and says, very good. Therefore, the Christian worldview is a claim that the foundation and source of all human value is because God said they're valuable. That they're very good. Is that how the world assigns value today? How how does the world assign value? What do you think? Here's a few ways, these are just off the top of my head. Come up a few ways I think the world assigns value. I think the world assigns value based on whether you're useful or not in society. Right, I mean American culture especially, the more productive you are, the more valuable you are, which works in a worldview until you have a disability and you're unable to produce in society in the way that others have. What does that say about your value then? And we've got a conflicting worldview. People dropping in their pieces. Wait, usefulness? Is that the basis of human value? It's not fitting with my paradigm. Usefulness, what about influence? Oh, in a YouTube culture, is it not true that our world says the more influential you are, the more valuable you are? If your video goes viral, we'll put ad campaigns behind you. And we'll even give you a platform to then, because you're a YouTuber and you're 23 years old and you've really figured out your worldview, so we'll give you a platform to tell the entire world how to live life. What? I Help me with the pieces of that puzzle. Just because your thing went viral, you're more valuable. What are other ways we assign value? We assign value because you're beautiful, don't we? Beautiful people are more valuable. That's our worldview. That's the culture you live in. We assign value based on sex. Certain cultures say men are more valuable than women. Where do we get this idea we stand value based on the color of your skin? So your skin's lighter and you have less melanoma and you you, you are somehow worthy? You have more value? How do you get what, Do you I should have 12 puzzles up here. Don't you see how complicated it is? Without This framework, how do you function with all these different worldviews? How does someone get value? And the Christian worldview claims that you're valuable because God says you're valuable and you're made in his image. Uh, A favorite pastor, theologian, Tim Keller, unpacks this. I think he's one of the best at at understanding our culture and he makes this great claim. I think there's so much truth behind this. He, he, He asks this question. How do we then base the value of a human in a culture that increasingly denies that God even exists? So if if originally, maybe at least in the American culture and our forefathers based human value and dignity and worth in our founding papers, because we're made in the image of God, then if you take God out, where do we find our basis anymore? What happens? And Keller argues persuasively that this begins to happen. He says two things happen with these two different views. A Christian worldview, one that acknowledges that God exists and that we have value because we're made in his image, means that the circle of the kinds of people who are valued and loved and protected will only expand. It will expand in society. But when you take God out of the picture and you don't have that as a foundation, every culture and worldview that does that, that circle contracts. Are you tracking? So it's like this Christians, our worldview should be because every human is made in the image of God. We should be champions of the poor. People that don't smell as good as you because they haven't had a shower in a month and they live on the street, Christians should say, expand it. You matter. Christians should make eye contact with homeless community members and they should look them in the eyes and say, you matter. That's the Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview expands, especially those that are deemed unvaluable in our society and minorities in the vanilla valley of Fort Collins. We should be champions of minorities in our community saying, you matter. My worldview brings you into the circle of human worth. Other worldviews that pull God out of the picture, the circle only contracts. You're valuable if you're useful. So if you get old, like really old, Well, you're not useful in society anymore. I mean, this goes dark. This is the world you live in. Do you see how people groups get contracted? The elderly aren't in the circle anymore. The unborn aren't in the circle anymore when we lose the image of God. Ah, but hold on. Just in case you want to go, yeah, let's charge. Come on, yeah. The unborn and let's, come on, let's, You go running out, hold on a second, yes, 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 you should protect and value that unborn life and you should also value and love the man and woman who chose to get that abortion. Why? Let me show you a text. James 3, 9. With our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father And with it, with your mouths, with your words, standing in the street, hearing about somebody who's gone through that, we curse people. We shame people. Why is that a problem? What's the uh uh-oh? Why can't you shame someone? Because that person is also made in the likeness image of God. Whoa, this blows up the puzzles. Christians can defend and protect the rights of unborn and they can love lavishly and not shame those who've experienced that and made that choice. Look, that blows up worldview paradigms. Christians should be champions of people's Worth? Are you a champion? Do you live out that worldview? How do you interact with those in our culture who are deemed less valuable? Do you get on the train of our culture and esteem and value those that maybe shouldn't have as much <laughs> Influences, maybe we give credence to. Are you protecting the rights? Do you love? Do you value? This is the imago day. This is image of God. It defines our position in the world, it defines our value in the world. Look, if you're here, you're here and you're checking out church, I want, with everything in me, I want you to know you are valuable. You're a walking miracle carrying the image of God. Do you know your worth? It's not just our position, not just our value, but finally it's our purpose. Being made in the image of God defines our purpose in the world. Let's look for some purpose verbs in this text. Look at Genesis 26, and we'll also look at 28. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, Okay, so I, I'm like God, I know my position before God, but what's my purpose? Let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, the birds, over all the earth. Let's skip down to verse 28, you'll see that word again. And God blessed man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, there it is again, over the fish of the sea. The NIV actually translates that rule, just like how we started. <laughs> this is radically different than the ancient Near East worldview. Think about it in a historical and cultural context where the only people that get the scepter to rule is Pharaoh, because I'm God and I have the right to rule. Look what God does. He says, uh uh-uh, uh uh uh, hold on. God is the only one who creates images of himself. There's seven billion on the world and every single one of them have been given the same cultural mandate to rule, subdue the earth as as sort of a vice regent, accountable to God, but endowed and empowered with authority to rule creation in a way that, that... Lions don't get to rule. You put lions in zoos. I don't know any lions walking around that have put a bunch of humans in cages. You rule, but everyone, not just Pharaoh, not one, everybody rules underneath God's authority. This is our purpose in the world. It's our cultural mandate. It's what God has called us to do. To subdue the world, to have dominion over it, is to be a vice regent ruling underneath God endowed with his authority. To take the creation that he began out of nothing and we take the stuff of creation, all of its resources, and we start moving the story forward. So we make crops and we take seeds and we make really delicious apples. I mean, University of Minnesota made a Honeycrisp apple that didn't exist before, but not out of nothing. <laughs> they had to use an apple first. Okay? That's amazing. And, and we've created societies and families, be fruitful and multiply, spread across the globe, build neighborhoods and make communities better and make cities better and make functions of society better. This is the cultural mandate that we've been given. You have been given an incredible purpose by God. And you're doing so as a vice-regent of God, empowered to rule and representing him all over the world. It's kind of like this, like imagine if you created seven billion clay models of yourself. Okay, don't go AI on me yet, okay? They're not like moving and talking, but uh, they're stagnant, okay? Seven billion, and you spread those all over the world. That's a lot of Zach Yarbros you're gonna bump into. (laughs) Somebody like, that's a lot. (laughs) What would that do? Wouldn't you, to the edges of the earth, start to kind of know what I'm like? You'd see my picture everywhere. It would make much of me. This is what God's doing through you. He's made seven billion images, image, bearers that spread throughout the globe and his purpose is that people would know him. When you love someone, people go, where, where do you get that? What's that like? Who's the original of that kind of love? When you forgive somebody, what is that like? Where'd you get that kind of grace to forgive someone? And it points to a, a great God who loves and forgives. This is our mandate. Seven billion of us created with a position under God, created with the image of God so that we have value and created with a purpose for God. This week, in one day, you're going to interact with a few different puzzle pieces. I'm banking on it. You probably will. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? I wanna to suggest today one just final application. As you interact with people, maybe people you really love, and you're messing around with two individual pieces in the center of a pile, and you're trying to fit them together, can I suggest a different way? What use is that when you haven't even built out the framework, one of your own cultural and Christian worldview, and even theirs? There's no, there's no framing. There's no framing. So how do you talk about these issues without the corners that God exists or the edges that you're made in the image of God? That's why this series exists. It's so foundational for you approaching these hot topic cultural issues is we need a foundation. Let's begin there and then work from the outside in. If you're struggling with worldview right now, your own or interacting with others. There's a reason and that reason's called sin. It's made a mess of this. In fact, it's the reason that we get an inverted theology and we're not in position underneath God, but over him, sin. It's the reason that we assign value on people and demean people, that's sin. And it's the reason your purpose in life feels frustrating and aimless at times. That's sin, that's all next week, but there's hope coming, there's hope coming. Week four, because despite how fractured our world has become because of sin into that world, God sent one who was the perfect image bearer. Flawless, not marred in any way. Jesus Christ himself came to fulfill the right position as the Son of God submitting to the Father, the right value as He loved people who He interact with that nobody loved, and the right purpose to be obedient to God. This is our Savior. This is a presentation of Life Point Church.
1: Our goal is to encourage and equip people to become fully developing followers of Christ. For more information, please visit sharethelife.org.